May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. So we began this worship service today with something called the Angelus. Um, the Angelus is a uh, Marian, meaning Mary, mother of Jesus, a Marian devotion to the Incarnation. The Incarnation is not simply or rather complexly only about the birth of Jesus. I mean, there's a wholeness to the Incarnation uh, when we're talking about it spiritually. There's a wholeness to the Incarnation that starts with Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary says yes to God's calling. A lowly young woman says yes to God's call, and the world will forever be changed. Mary oftentimes doesn't get her due. She, needs, she sometimes gets skipped over a little bit in the whole Advent season, and she doesn't have a lot to say, but it all starts with Mary saying yes to God. And we will talk more about Mary in the coming weeks. So why then do we have this gospel reading today about the end of times and judgment when everything is just at the beginning on this Advent one? As Christians, we are always living in this kind of in-between reality where God is both imminent and transcendent. Now, what do I mean by that? Imminent means now. Imminent means right here with us. And it is what the incarnation signifies, what we celebrate as Christmas. But we're not there yet. We're not there yet. The incarnation is God loving creation so much that God explicitly and physically came to humanity. God with us, an imminent God that walks with us, that is in relationship with us, one that hears our prayers and gives us wisdom. But God is also transcendent beyond what we can imagine, unknowable and mysterious. God whose works and endgame cannot be known or infiltrated in its fullness. Now, also remember in the past few weeks, we've been talking about the kingdom of God as being here, now, but then again, not yet, realized, but still unrealized. So we're in that middle way, right? So we live in between, in this in-between reality with our own reason. And, you know, we inherited from um, modernity and the Enlightenment a way of thinking about the world that sees the transcendent part of God the unknowable and kind of, you know, what we can't even imagine. We see that transcendent part of God as unreasonable. When 
After a mass shooting, as we have experienced in America in the last week, when the unthinkable occurs and we say, oh, our thoughts and our prayers, they're with you, do we believe it? Do we believe it? Do we believe that the prayers will do anything? Or do we say that we are tired of thoughts and prayers because they don't seem to change anything? We need action in order to stop bullets. Theologian Andrew Root writes about this, and he says that if we live inside a framework where transcendence is real, a real reality in our way of living, then thoughts and prayers won't be assumed to be an empty sentiment or vapid encouragement. To call for prayer would be to expect, to expect the living God to act in this world, bringing judgment and grace. This God would be assumed to participate in and therefore shift the contingent flow of relations in one direction or another. But, you know, this is hard for us to believe and it's hard for us to imagine. And there's a lot about God that we find really hard to imagine. You may remember uh, a few years ago, people in um, certain organizations or groups, they would, they would wear a large safety pin, like a brooch, just an ordinary safety pin on their lapel or their jacket or their blouse or what have you. And it was kind of a big thing, mostly for younger people, I have to say, to do this. And this was meant to show people or groups of people who may have felt targeted by hate that this place represented by the people visibly wearing safety pins, that this organization was a safe space. You would be safe here was the message if you saw a safety pin. And I even saw a few churches do this, and I had friends in church leadership who would wear safety pins to show that their churches were safe spaces and where all were truly welcome. And I remember thinking, well, why do we need safety pins? I would bet that there would be many among the congregation, at least the women in the congregation, wearing a cross around their necks. We don't need a safety pin. We already have a symbol of safety. We have the cross. But unfortunately, the cross is not always a universal symbol of safety. And it hasn't been for many people. For many, it has been a symbol of oppression or organized exclusion, sometimes hate. And for many, it is a sign of judgment whether they have even entered a Christian church or not. They see the cross and right away, oh, you're judging me. Now, I was reminded of this safety pin practice after hearing all week about the mass shooting at the uh, club in Colorado Springs, the LGBTQ plus club in Colorado Springs where that uh, shooter was, and many who were interviewed afterwards said that, that they were really sad now because this was always a safe place. This was a space where everybody felt safe. It was a place where they could be themselves, where people felt that they had a family, even when their own families had rejected them or their churches had rejected them. It was a place where people could experience joy and belonging. And, and you know, there are a very loud bunch out there, a loud bunch of extreme right Christian voices out there that unfortunately people listen to. 
People who call themselves pastors who say that those who identify as LGBTQ should be put to death in this country, in this state, in Southern California. Actually, there are pastors who preach that in the pulpit, putting a lot of energy behind judging and condemning others. But this is not what Jesus is all about. Jesus doesn't don an AR-15 or AK-47. I don't even know the difference between those two rifles. Jesus doesn't throw stones at people. In fact, Jesus spends a whole lot of time accepting people for who they are and embracing those whom others have cast aside. Jesus preaches about loving neighbor, and, and Jesus actually protested the Roman political system by dying within that system, judged and condemned himself only to, to turn it all upside down. He was born, he lived, he died, was resurrected only to point to an imminent and transcendent God who is a whole lot bigger than we can plot out. So much more full of grace, joy, inclusion, wonder, and accepting than we can ever meet out. But here we have in the Gospel of Matthew that tells us that there will be an end time and God will pick and choose who will be saved. The Son of Man will return, and this will be Jesus. And you better get your act together, get your house in order, because you never know when the apocalypse will happen. And for the most part, we don't know when our last hour will be. We don't know when our lives will be upended. This is true for all of us. But the most interesting part of this passage is this. But about the day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. No one knows, not even Jesus. And if Jesus doesn't even know, then I think we can be a little easy on ourselves when we don't know what the transcendent side of God is doing. So there are a few ways to interpret this gospel reading. One, that Jesus will return and God's elect will be raptured and taken up to heaven, leaving others behind to incur the wrath of God. Two, that we must be prepared for our own individual deaths, for when we will be judged for the the events of our lives and how we lived our lives. Or three, that judgment refers to not a time in the future, but the here and now. And the thing is, is that it could be a combination of the three. So how do we cope with this as Christians? How do we not live in a state of judging and and condemnation of others or ourselves and, and still feel that the cross represents a safe place? How do we not live in this state of anxiety well, I've shared with, this, you, with you this before, but I want you to remember this statement that a very wise priest once told me. He said, our badness is never greater than God's goodness. And I always tell myself that. Our badness is never greater than God's goodness. There's room for a whole lot of grace 
And we should not live Christian lives shaped by anxiety about some future date which will reveal something we can't even know. We are to live for today with the comfort that the safe space the cross reveals to us is a symbol not of judgment and condemnation, but one of resurrected life, of transformative living, one of gratitude, grace, and peace, and joy, one of an imminent presence of God. And when we doubt or we don't really believe that God will do anything in this world, all we have to do is go back and ask in our prayers for wisdom, which is the knowledge of God as best as we can know. Ask for wisdom to increase our faith in wonder and light and goodness and changed hearts. Even Jesus doesn't know when this final day will happen. And if Jesus doesn't have a full grasp on what we call Judgment Day, then it's okay if we don't either. But let's take the advice today to get our houses in order, to live for today, live in love and grace and forgiveness and gratitude and service and respect for the dignity of every human being, and to allow ourselves to live in an, in an expectation of grace, where our thoughts and prayers are, are pointed toward those who are in pain and toward a world where mass shootings do not occur. Because our prayers, they change our hearts. And our changed hearts affect others in ways that we don't even know. And then a ch there's a chain reaction of changed hearts healing the world. And that's kind of the formula. So prayers matter. Don't judge others. We must worry about what God is doing in our own life and not what God is doing in the lives of others because we just don't know. All of us know, though, especially after living through COVID, that life can change on a dime and that what matters most is the love that we have for others. Nothing physical or tangible will stay the same over time. And that getting one's house in order means putting our priorities in order. What is a healthy way of life? What truly brings us joy? What expression of ourselves is true to our innermost being? What can I give of myself that will ease the pain and suffering of others? What sacrifice can I make in order to show love and acceptance? I mean, how do you feel when you know that someone is praying for you? How does that make you feel? It matters, right? You feel something. When you know that others are praying for you, something changes. Something changes. It matters. And as I was beginning to write a sermon this week, there was, of course, that other mass shooting, this time in Virginia. An employee at a Walmart killed himself and others in the store. And while people do these horrible deeds, you know, they may be motivated by the hate speech of others, but it is clear that what is really at play is a hatred of self, a feeling of not belonging, or somehow being angered at one's place in life and in the community, blaming others for whatever lack they are experiencing. Maybe they just want attention. The purpose of the church is, is not to preach judgment and condemnation, but to preach hope and love, and, and not simply for our own comfort but more so for others who have not yet heard about this safe space, 
the safe space that the church offers, the safe place that is at the foot of the cross where the hate and the anger and the retaliation and the emptiness and the guilt and the pain, all of that can be transformed if we live in this vision of transcendence. The spiritual health of our communities relies on religious institutions to be on the forefront of compassion. And we live in in the in-between, which means that we're an unfinished people. We're not perfect. We haven't fully arrived at our full potential as a child of God. That there's always work to do, service work for sure, but also work on ourselves. We We can always, trust me, we can always repent of something. We can always, trust me on this too, we can always forgive someone else. We can always pray for someone or for ourselves. We can always choose the good over evil or selfishness. We are forever evolving in the hopes that our lives will be transformed in ways that we don't even know yet. So if we are stymied in our spiritual pursuits, allow it to be enough to know that others are praying for you and it matters. So it all began with a lowly young woman who said yes to God, an imminent God, a living God who goes beyond imagination and reason. So we we begin our Advent journey today waiting with vigilance for the ultimate expression of the nearness and the presence of God with us, setting aside the anxiety and fear of not knowing about the end of times or the end of our time, to do our best in the here and now, to be like Mary and say yes to God and and say yes to the impossible, trusting in the unknowable because of the grace and love of God that Jesus points to again and again, which passes all our understanding. Amen. Amen.